everyone, and welcome to the USC Triple Double Podcast, a part of the Pair Style Podcast family of shows. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, joined by Mr. Triple Double himself, my co-host, Connor Morissette. That's right. Check out the consonants in that last name. Connor, how are we doing today? Doing well, Shotgun. Excited for another episode. How are you? I'm hanging in there. It sounds like you're doing better because your Patriots won a game. I didn't even know that was possible anymore, but hey, congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think they were ever really in play for the number one pick, and this loss doesn't really affect them getting the number two pick, so it was a win-win. They or <laughs> win doesn't affect them from getting the number two pick. They're still going to be number two. They won. I'm feeling good. A little bit of football in there for you guys. Obviously, a lot going on in the football side. Make sure you are subscribed to uscfootball.com to get all the latest news, all the transfer portal news. There are going to be some coaching changes on the defensive side. USC's got a new defense coordinator in Denton Lynn. He's been on the road recruiting. So much stuff is constantly evolving over there. But we're here to talk a little basketball. In case you're joining us for the first time, the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family, but it's a basketball-only show. We won't be talking too much football on here. On this show, we discuss the latest USC men's and women's basketball news and break down the recent action from both teams. So if you enjoy the show, please make sure you're liking, subscribing. You can also leave us a five-star review. All that type stuff always helps us grow our audience as well. This week, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Normally, we have an interview with one of the USC coaches or players, and then Connor and I kind of give our assessments after. This week, we're going to give our opinions first. We're going to be first for once. We're putting ourselves first for once, Connor. And then we'll be answering your user-submitted questions afterwards. We're going to do a little Q&A after the break in this one. Let's start with recapping last week. Connor, why don't you hit us off with women's basketball, 1-0 and on the week, and when, once again, took care of business in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want me to dive right into the triple-double here or just talk about the game in let's general? Just, let's start with the game, and then we'll jump into our triple-double after. For sure, yeah. Another big win, and we talk a lot about when the men were ranked, you want to look like a ranked team. The women, they have done that. Again, Cal Poly, big win. Now San Diego, a big win. It's always encouraging when you play a lesser opponent you go out and you just blow doors. And that's what USC continues to do. Juju Watkins, incredible. Another 30-point game for her. The team is really doing a lot of good things right now, and I can't wait for Pac-12 play because they're going to be challenged, and it's going to be a fun ride. On the other side, the men have one game last week and not quite as uh, not quite as good outcome for them. They went to Vegas, really big marquee matchup for them, non-conference against Gonzaga. And they nearly got run out of the gym in the first couple minutes. If the first couple minutes would have continued the rest of the game, either in either half, it would have been a gigantic blowout. Instead, USC loses by 13 points and was never really close after the first couple minutes of the second half. They get out to a 15-2 deficit in the first half, and they're playing catch-up the entire game. They have an opportunity, actually, late in the first half, had some free throws, could have cut it down to three points. Instead, they missed both free throws. They went one of eight from the free throw line, something that has not bothered them all season, suddenly became an issue. Um, and just the flat starts were really telling. That was, you know, was not good. The one bright, bright spot in this game was Boogie Ellis. He was outstanding once again, 28 points on 12 of 21 shooting, four, nine from three, seven rebounds as well. That's not something you usually see out of Boogie, but Seven rebounds, four assists, to one turnover, two steals, doing a little bit of everything. He continues to be just consistent for USC. He scored 28 points, and it was just like he got to 20 or 21. You're just like, oh, yeah, he's got – like you're not looking at, oh, he's got 28 points. It's just like, oh, yeah, he got 28 again. 
Second game in a row, he got 28. You know, he was the Pac-12 Player of the Week. Same thing on the women's side. Juju Watkins was the Pac-12 Player of the Week and the Freshman of the Week. Might as well just name it the Juju Watkins Award this year because I don't know who else is going to win that award over her any of these weeks. Maybe when USC doesn't play, they'll have a chance. Or if somebody goes off for a couple games when USC only plays one, feels like the only way she's not winning the Freshman of the Week honor, but her first Pac-12 Player of the Week honor, just the fourth player to actually uh, to do that double du- double dip on the women's side. So congratulations to both of them for their Pac-12 Player of the Week honors. And I wrote in the story, maybe that's a precursor for the end of the season. If Boogie Ellis continues to play the way he's playing, that is a possibility. And a Juju Watkins is definitely a possibility. Now there's some stiff competition on, in both of those sides uh, for Player of the Year. Cameron Brink has been phenomenal for Stanford and some other players as well. But the way those two are playing right now, you know, you wouldn't put it past them. Um, but let's let's before we get to our triple double, let's start with our juicy juicy. You know, Ju, Juju Watkins, just phenomenal again. She's averaging 27.3 points, 7.6 rebounds, three and a half assists, over two steals, over a block that is averaging four and a half turnovers, but shooting 49% from the field, 44% from three, 75% from free throw. Isaiah Collier, 17.3 points per game, four and a half assists, three rebounds. One over a steal a game is averaging four and a half turnovers as well, but shooting 52%, including 40% from three. Both of them continue to be fantastic. But did anything catch your eye this week from either one of those or anyone talking about the either of USC's fabulous freshmen? Well, just with Juju Shotgun, you pull up ESPN.com, top scores in women's college basketball, and you don't have to go far to find Juju Watkins on that list. It's Caitlin Clark, who the all-world is the all-world player from Iowa, had that awesome season last year, brought Iowa all the way to that championship game. Incredible player. She scores just under 30 points a game, 29.6. And the number two on the list is Juju Watkins, a true freshman at 27.3 points per game. That's pretty good company. And I think in the <laughs> long term, Juju, of course, has a chance to be better than Caitlin Clark. But Caitlin Clark is really, really good. And just the fact that through, what is it, seven games, Juju is showing that she deserves to be mentioned in the same conversation as Caitlin Clark. I think people would kind of speculate at the beginning of the season. Yeah, she could get there. But, I mean, I don't really know what more she could do this season. She is right there. She is one of the premier players, and she's known as a great scorer, and that just kind of goes to show how talented she is. It's Caitlin Clark and Juju Watkins. That is some good company to be in. Yeah, how about Maggie Johnson showing her some love on Twitter, saying it's must-see TV. She's setting women's college basketball on fire, and he's absolutely right. I mean, you got to tune in to watch and see what Juju's going to do because she's doing things that other girls – aren't consistently doing, you know, the behind the backs, the, the, the step throughs with the Euro uh, steps and stuff, making defenders fall on the ground. I mean, did you see that clip? Uh, A defender tried to take a charge on her and she stepped through with a Euro step. And it was basically like, it should be like one of those, uh, one of those gifs or one of those memes where someone just starts sliding out of the entire screen, like over and over and over and over because the defender went the exact opposite way. She sent a defender into another dimension as she tried to draw a charge. She stepped through and makes the bucket. Um, And there was another play where she actually, uh, she did the too small. She put a too small on somebody coming back up the court. So yeah, she feeling herself a little bit and I'm not, I'm not hating on it. I mean, go when you have an 11 0 run by yourself, like what she did in that game against San Diego, yeah, you go do what you got to do. Uh, what about Isaiah Collier? Anything stand out uh, from from the the news around the, the the way on Isaiah Collier this week? Well, I know it's something that we'll talk about in a little bit, but I can bring it up now. The 
ESPN tweet, Jonathan Gavoni, who does the draft stuff for ESPN. He tweeted how he's talked to some NBA executives and they haven't liked what they've seen from Isaiah Collier playing defense. And just, they haven't really liked what they've seen from USC overall. I think they called it, uh, I don't know if it was Collier or the USC team overall defensively, just a little lackadaisical and the piece is not really fitting. And I think overall, just based on how the last few games have gone, that that seems accurate to me. I remember in Eastern Washington, that game, even though USC won big, Isaiah Collier, he didn't get out on a three-point shooter as quick as some of the coaches on the USC staff would have liked. And there was sort of a miscommunication, and then they took a timeout, and they were going back and forth on the, the sideline. So I think Isaiah Collier has all the talent in the world, and he'll be able to get it fixed. But it's interesting to hear those murmurs a little bit, because the week before, we heard all about how his three-point shooting, that's going to translate to the next level, and that's a really good sign. This past week, we hear some questions about the defense and some questions about USC overall, which I think are valid right now. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this is what happens when you were going to be a potential number one pick. Everyone's going to tear it. You're going to get brought up by some people. You're going to get torn down by others. And this is valid. You know, the defensive intensity has lacked at times, and that's something that he needs to show he can improve on. And that's something that the coaches are constantly harping on him. And you see times when when he does put forth that effort and then other times where it just kind of slacks off. And, you know, he's got to take that next step of, okay, I'm, I don't need someone yelling at me from the bench 24-7 to understand I got to be out. I got to be out on somebody. I got to, you know, play defense. And now part of it is when you when you make that transition and you're so used to just dominating people physically um, you know, then once you get to the next level, he, he's kind of catching up right now. And the game's catching up to him a little bit. And on another part of it is when, you know, he's he's used to dominating, but also he takes so much of the offensive load, especially when he plays bully ball. It seems like he's out of breath at times. The conditioning, Jay Williams brought up the conditioning a couple times for uh, uh, USC in general in that Gonzaga game as far as the, the broadcaster, Jay Williams. So that's something that has stood out to me a couple of times. I've asked about it, you know, in, in different games. It's like he seems a little bit winded. And, you know, is he conserving energy? And that's why the defense is, is taking a step back. So, you know, he probably – because in the NBA, he'll probably slim down a little bit and, and play a little bit lighter. Um, is that something he needs to be working on right now? I, you know, that's something the coaching staff ha- would have to address. But, yeah, so the the concerns are valid. But I like the way that he's taking it in stride. You know, the coaches, especially Chris Capco, is all over him. Chris Capco is all about defense, and if you're not playing defense, you're going to get yelled at. So he's been on Boogie Ellis in the past. He's been on everyone back to Kevin Porter. You know, other you know other big time players along the way. Anyone that's not giving that effort, he's going to ride you. Um, but Drew Peterson constantly getting ridden by Chris Capco, but it made him better because he took it. Now there's some back and forth. And Isaiah Collier, you've seen there's some been some back and forth, but he's taken it in stride. And you know, I, I you know, I've asked about how did he handle kind of getting benched in that Oklahoma game, and I talked to Andy Enfield about it, talked to some other people around the program, and there was no no conversation afterwards, like not you can't do this to me type of thing. You know, he doesn't have that superstar ego that you would might expect from, you know, the number one prospect in the country, number one potential overall pick. So I think that's a positive sign. And we'll talk about this a little bit more a little bit later, but yeah, that it was a a valid tweet, but also kind of stood out and also questionable decision-making streaky shooting. 
it was like he's shooting way better than anticipated. One, the decision making's been fine. I thought. I don't know about you, but again, we'll discuss this later. I don't want to get too far into it because we've already got a topic for this a little bit later. We got some questions, um, but that's our juice, juice. I want to put that first before the triple double because otherwise, we're going to say. Isaiah Collier and Juju Watkins almost every week on the triple double. So how about your triple double? What stood out to you from the, you know, win over San Diego? Yeah. My first three things looking like a top 10 team. Like I mentioned, I just think that's so important. Juju, I'm kind of breaking the rules here, bringing her up, but 30 points for <laughs> time in seven games. Incredible. And shotgun a couple times I've come on the show and talked about the free throw shooting with the women, 77% in their last two games. I think they were 76.9% against San Diego and then uh, two points better against uh, Cal Poly before. So the, the free throw shooting is improving and there's the shots aren't exactly high pressure. So it's, you know, it's just good to see them go in. I wonder if they'll be able to do it consistently against better teams, but Hey, those are three things that uh, I, I think are really great. And as the clock continues to, to wind here on this season, you're going to need to knock down those free throws and USC's done them the last two games. So I want to give them credit. Let's start with my, for my triple positive here, a 19, three run spanning the end of the first quarter, the start of the second quarter, and then never looked back, but took care of business. Um, you know, that was, it showed they know how to put their foot on the pedal uh, for their, yeah, their foot on the pedal and just pull away. Uh, when a game was tied with about a minute left, I think in the first quarter, all right, Let's get things together. And then Juju had an 11-0 run in there on her own. Um, but 19-3 run, you take care of business, and then they just slowly pulled away. It wasn't like there was a run that San Diego made to cut it back to a certain number or anything. It was just slowly, okay, it was a 15-point lead. Now it's an 18, it's a 20, and a 22, and just slowly kept creeping up and got to up to 30 points, um, and they went by 31. So that was the first one for me. How about Caleb Padilla? Only took one shot in this game. Obviously, the Ivy League leading scorer last year, different role this season. And I feel like she's starting to really find her way in this role. She had six turnovers, I mean, six assists in this game to two turnovers. Um, so I, I think that, you know, she made her only shot in this game, two points, but six assists to two turnovers and two steals, a block. Um, you know, I thought she was really good in this game. And Araya Marshall was fantastic. Double double to again taking care of business. And you need your stars to to do what they're supposed to do. You know, other people can step up. And I thought Clarice uh Akamwafu off the bench played really well. She had the play where she had multiple blocks. Uh, but Raya Marshall, 20 points, 12 rebounds, double double once again, but also four blocks. So I, I thought she was really good in this game. And USC had 60 points in the paint. That's a lot, in case you're wondering. How about on the how about on the negative side? What do you got for for your double section of the women's? It's nitpicky when they're playing these lopsided games that they win, but here we go. Kylie Horstmayer, the top scorer for San Diego, she nearly doubled her point per game total in this one. She was eight of fourteen from the field, scored eighteen points. She only averages nine point eight per game. So USC, I felt like could have maybe done a better job defensively on her. It's a nitpick when you win by the amount of points that they did winning 89-58, but start there. And then Juju, the turnovers, you mentioned it earlier, shotgun, six turnovers, five assists for her. Tough to nitpick because she does so much well and the scoring is incredible, but 
you could clean those up a little bit. So those are my two things. Not really concerned at all with either of them, but uh, if I had to pick two, those were uh, the two. <laughs> True. And Horsemeyer was a team worst negative 31 on the field as far as her plus, my, plus minus, and Juju was a game high plus 34. But I also did have her turnovers. Um, she's only had one game where she didn't have at least four. So it is a little bit of concern. Same with Isaiah Collier on the other side. When you play that tougher competition, when you get against that UCLA, that one turnover, that two turnovers extra could be the difference in the game. So, you know, you got to start, all right, now you're reading defenses a little bit better. You're seeing the speed of play, all that type of stuff. Now you got to start cutting that back a little bit. You've had your freshman moment. Now it's time to start, you know, working your way back. And then my other negative was just Caitlin Davis still not back for them. Uh, you know, before you get to that stretch run against, you know, the Pac-12, starting with UCLA, you want to get your full roster back and you know get the full starting lineup because she's she's such an element for them defensively as well because she's a big body she can guard multiple positions same thing with McKenzie Forbes I think that's what makes them unique and that's what it stood out to me in that Ohio State game because Ohio State loves to you know press was that they had four different people that could bring the ball up um, and then Ray Marshall can handle the ball well enough you know as an outlet. They can, you know, she can get the uh, outlet pass and take it one on one against somebody. So, uh, you know, with four different people handling the ball, it makes it that much more difficult to to press. So, when you face teams that want to pressure you a little bit more, having Caitlin Davis back would help. How about on the men's side? What you got for triple? I have to start with Boogie Ellis. What he's been able to do, not only against Gonzaga, but just consistently this season, back to the Eastern Washington game, and even the start of the year, he he's been incredible. Forty eight percent from three. As Andy Enfield mentioned in your phone conversation earlier with him, shotgun, what a what a great player he is taking a step forward. 12 of 21, 28 points, no free throws. He got to 28 points without attempting a free throw against Gonzaga. We see all the time guys, sometimes they don't take a ton of um, shots from the floor and then they pad the stats with a lot of free throws. They're good at getting the line. I think Boogie is good at getting the line. He didn't against Gonzaga for whatever reason and to still get 28 points against a really good team. That was impressive. Second triple, Bronny coming back Sunday. Going to be a lot of buzz with him. That's exciting. Happy to see that. And then how about Arrington Page shotgun against Gonzaga? I thought he was one of the few bright spots. Him and Boogie, he was 4-7 of from the floor, 9 points, 3 offensive rebounds. He just looked like he belonged out there in a game with a lot of really good prospects, which I thought was huge. He hasn't always looked like he belonged so far, and he's a true freshman, so that. I think makes sense. But the fact that it looks like you can rely on him and you just need anything from your big men right now. The fact that he's given you consistent points was huge because you're not getting that from some of the other guys. So they have a lot of talent with Vince, Arrington, Josh Morgan, and Kajani, but you can't play all those guys. And eventually someone just needs to be a consistent score. And maybe it's going to be Arrington Page. Yeah, I had Arrington Page as well in my positive. Um, The fact that when Gonzaga plays, the pace just – picks up they run you so quickly so then usually freshmen start speeding up their game he didn't I thought that was really impressive the fact that he was able to be comfortable with that style of play in that game had a career high nine points like you said the three offensive rebounds uh, were positive for him Uh, played 21 minutes I think that's a career high I would have to check uh, to see if that's a season high for him there Uh, but yeah positive signs there They need the bigs to step up. They need him and Vince to step up, in particular, those two young guys, because they have a a ton of talent and high ceilings. Can they reach it? The quicker those guys reach their ceiling, the better this team can be this season. Uh, Boogie Ellis as well. Boogie Ellis quietly carrying the offense. Like I said, you looked up and you're like, oh, you got 21. You're just like, oh, hum. 
like it just seems it's so it's happening so frequently that it doesn't stand out to you anymore, which is is impressive in its own regard. And I put uh, you know positive for they've been shown what it takes, both against Oklahoma, who's a little bit older team, against Gonzaga. You see what it takes to be an NCAA tournament team. Now can you get there? Because you, USC did not look like an NCAA tournament team against Gonzaga. You know they got run over, and like they had a chance to get back in that game and they didn't. Um, so that's that's concerning that they had that opportunity. The slow starts are concerning, but you've been seen. You've been shown now. Can you make the adjustments? This is a critical time in the season. A lot of times, because hey, you played a bunch of guys. You've given them minutes. Now this, you know, in December you start. What usually you only have one game a week, so you get more practice time as well. Guys finish up their finals. Now they're free. They can get extra work in. All those type things. December is the time you get a lot of better. You can get a lot better. Can USC do that? That's going to be the question going forward. How about the negatives? What you got on, on the double? Or go ahead if you have anything to add to that as well. No, I totally agree with what you have to say there. It's now or never for USC men's basketball, and it's kind of early to be saying that, but that's how I feel. They, you're right. They've been shown what it takes. Long Beach State, yeah, that's not really too tough of a test. Potentially, we'll see. But then you go on the road, you play at Auburn. Can you, even if you don't win, can you play better than you did against Gonzaga and keep it close? I, I think that game is is going to be big for them. Because if you lose that one big, then all of a sudden you got four losses. And I think people will start to scratch their heads a little bit as USC heads into the uh, Pac-12 play. But yeah, so the the doubles for me, don't want to pile on, but you know, where, where do you start here? It, it was the terrible start, I think. So you start with how they started. Um, and then we mentioned the Gavoni tweet about how USC looked kind of lackadaisical and some ill-fitting pieces. And I thought against Gonzaga, I, I agreed with that. Just the three-point defense was not good enough from USC. The defense overall wasn't good enough. So the bad start and, and the bad defense certainly wasn't a recipe for success. And then just, I, I think the ill-fitting pieces stuff, like some of the big guys in there, Josh Morgan doesn't get a rebound to this game. You're starting center. That's a big problem. It, it looks like he has some trouble fitting uh, every now and then. And then he has a great game against Seton Hall with the blocks, but I want to see more consistency from him and just see him do his job better. Uh, and then my other one, the rebounding um, 39 to 33 USC lost to Gonzaga in the, the rebounding battle and uh, 11 offensive boards for Gonzaga in the second half. It was always going to be tough for USC to get back into the game, but the fact that they gave up, 11 offensive rebounds in that second half killed any chance of a comeback. How about Ben Gregg came off the bench for Gonzaga? He had three offensive rebounds. That's the same amount of rebounds on that end of the floor that USC's big men had. USC's big men had three defensive rebounds the entire game. Four guys. You know, Kajani Wright had two. Arrington Page had one. Vincey Wichuku had zero in 17 minutes. And Joshua Morgan had zero in 18 minutes. That's – they have to get better. That's It's going to kill them. It did kill them in this game. Um, you know, the offensive rebounds have continued to be an issue for them, and, and it's it's so demoralizing when you play tough defense for a possession, you force a miss, and then you give the ball right back to them to give them another chance. Uh, my my neg- negatives in this game, my double, the conditioning, like I said, Jason Williams called it out multiple times for them looking gassed, and it, it – like there's times when you're like, is that guy just tired? Is that why he's not making a play? Like I, you see guys leaning over their hands. Like, I don't know if the coaching staff needs to be like, all right, since we got this extra time of, of no practice, we're just going to run today. It's going to get a good, good day of running in for you guys. 
And then my second was, where's the D? I mean, you take out DJ Rodman and not one player that participated as a D in their name. And there was little D seen from a USC Jersey all night. So, you know, that's the only player on the team that has a D in their name. And he's usually the only one playing a little bit of defense. It feels like him and Kobe Johnson. So are they going to play, start playing better defense? And that's something, you know, like what I said, when we talked, when talked with Andy Enfield and we'll discuss a little bit later, but, the defense has not been good enough so far. And if they don't start playing better defense, they're going to be right back to where they were when they had Kevin Porter, where you have a first-round pick, but you don't play enough defense, you don't play enough team ball, that it doesn't matter, and you don't make the NCAA tournament. So that's their trajectory right now. Can they change that trajectory? Uh, or are we going to see them miss the NCAA tournament for the first time since you know Kevin Porter was on the roster? Which would be a big surprise based on how this year started, obviously ranked and just all the – the talent on this team. Andy Enfield talked a lot about wanting to hold the opposition to 40% or fewer from the field. And then you look at the Gonzaga numbers, they're over 50%. So that just kind of tells you all you need to know, not good enough defensively in that game. And yeah, it was a big disappointment. And Kobe Johnson, he's known for being the best defensive player for USC. I wanted to see a little bit more from him on both ends against Gonzaga. And it, you know, every team will have a game where they just don't play well for whatever reason, but this is USC's third loss now. And there are some excuses that are valid. They, they haven't had the whole team, but now they have had him for the last couple of weeks outside of Bronny. So just like we talked about earlier, Shaka, and this month is huge and they got to start playing better because you're absolutely right. They're trending towards not making the tournament right now. And if you told me that at the beginning of the season, I would have called you crazy. When you shoot 47% in a game and you only have 10 turnovers, you should win you're going to win 90% of the time. USC had those numbers and did not win because they let Gonzaga shoot 53% or 52%, including 55% in the second half. You can't come back when you're down at halftime when you let another team score 50 or shoot 55% and score off almost 40 points. So, yeah, very disappointing in that regard um, from USC. Let's see how they bounce back. They got 45 points in the second half. My bad. Uh, we'll see how they bounce back. Um they have one game this week. There's going to be a doubleheader in the Galen Center on Sunday. Should be really fun. I'm disappointed I'm, I'm missing out. Not only is it Bronny's debut, but you get to come out to the Galen Center. You get to potentially see Bronny's debut. You get to stay around to see Juju Watkins potentially put up 30. Maybe it's 40. Maybe it's 50. Who knows? You never know what she's going to do. It's much watch TV. Just ask Magic Johnson. He'll tell you. Uh, so make sure you guys are coming out to the Galen Center. It should be really fun. Uh, it's afternoon uh, and the first, what, thousand or no, first – I can't remember what it was. Uh, number of students get in, get an ugly Christmas sweater from USC. I think there's a giveaway for the women's game as well. So they're trying to pack the stands. Hopefully it is a, it is a raucous crowd. Um, like I said, I'm jealous that I'm not going to be there. Let's see where they stand. Um, right now, December 7th was uh, the date we pulled the stats from the last time. What kind of stands out to you from the women and men as far as where they stand statistically? Women stayed at number six, ranked in the nation. They got jumped by Texas, who beat UConn. UConn's actually the lowest. They're, I think they're 17th or 18th. The lowest they've been in like 30 years. That is unbelievable to me. 30 years they haven't been basically outside the top 15. That's ridiculous. So USC basically is was trying to get into the top five for the first time in 30 years. They're in the top 10, I believe, for the first time since 94. So um, we'll see if they can if they keep winning, they can keep moving up and then have a you know a huge marquee top five matchup with UCLA later in December. That would be really fun. Should be a crowd, 
packed house and everything there. But what about statistically anything kind of stand out to you so far for the women right now? Continuing to move up the field goal percentage rankings. They're now 22nd at 45.8 in the country. And that just goes to show how easy they're scoring the basketball right now, which if you're watching Juju, it's not only her, but man, oh man, is USC women's basketball fun to watch on offense. They still don't get a lot of production from the bench. 266th, sixth nationally in bench points, only 15 per game. The blocks have been fantastic. 25th block or 25th in the country in blocks per game. And overall, the the steals are kind of low, 200th in the country, but that's not a huge thing for me. So I think the biggest thing shotgun is the one I started with. The field goal percentage is high at 48.5% every, uh, is what they average right now. And that's my big takeaway. They're scoring the ball really easily. What about on the men's side? You know, obviously they're not in the top 25 where they started the season. And, you know, they're going to have to do some work. As they go, Gonzaga was a great opportunity to kind of reset and get focused. It did not happen. Now they're going to go into a game with Long Beach State, which is a must win. And then they're going to go on the road and try to beat Auburn in their place. It's going to be a tough battle. Um, you know, Auburn has been consistently good under Bruce Pearl, and playing at home is going to be a really difficult task. Winnable game. But where do the men kind of stand right now for you? Four stats that are all bad is what stands out to me. 217th and rebounding margin at 0.2. So they're barely out rebounding their opponents on the year. It's not even by one whole rebound right now. 191st in scoring defense. They're giving up 71.2 points per game, 212th and three point percentage defense, 33.3% and 227th in turnovers per game at 13.1. Those are stats of a team that is underachieving. And I think, the issues are obvious. The rebounding isn't good enough. The defense isn't good enough. And the turnovers aren't good enough right now. They're doing too many of those. So uh, Andy Enfield and his team, they, they know where they need to improve. And it, I start there. Let's look forward to Sunday. The the doubleheader that is in Galen Center. The men will actually play first. They'll play Long Beach State. Long Beach State is six and four. They got a big win at Michigan. Really stood out there. They also won at DePaul. So they're, they're great in the Midwest. But they have losses at Portland, at San Diego State. Uh, Illinois State and Louisiana. So they've been all over the country. This is a team that will travel anywhere. Um, they have not been terrific on the road, but they have some big wins. They're led by Marcus Tejonis, who had 35 in that win against Michigan. He's got averaging 17.2 points per game. And they have a really good turnover margin because they average nine over nine steals a game. What kind of stands out to you about this Long Beach State team? They can score, but they play no defense. They <laughs> Given up 77.9 points per game, which ranks 308th nationally. And I think there's only like 315 teams or something like that. So they're way at the bottom of uh, the the defensive metrics. It kind of, this game scares me a little bit, Shotgun. It reminds me of Brown because Brown could score and they didn't really play a lot of defense and they kept it close with USC. It, it'll all depend on if Tahonis and, and some of these other players on Long Beach State have the hot hand. They're the kind of team that USC will score. And it's just up to Long Beach State. If they're having a good night shooting the ball or a good afternoon, it'll be close. And if they're not shooting the ball, it could be a blow in USC's favor just because the defense for Long Beach State is so bad. So that's just something to watch because I think looking at the Brown blueprint, they kept it close with USC. And that was a little bit of a concern. Long Beach State, they will watch that film. They will know what USC does to, to try to keep that game close. And if it is close at the end of it, Long Beach State has a great chance because they have so many good scores on that team. It'll all come down if USC plays defense. They play yep. better defense, then they'll be able to slow down Long Beach State, and Long Beach State won't be able to slow them down. If they don't, 
then it's a shootout. And it could be a really exciting game, which will make Andy Infield's hair even grayer than it is. Even more Silver Fox. Um, they do have the Treores down low. Now, these are not brothers. However, they have Lucina and uh, Abubakar, and they've been fantastic, both of them. They both average over 11 points a game. Lucina is top 20 in the nation in rebounds, almost averages a double-double. He's had a double-double in five of 10 games, so he's like top 10 in the nation in double-doubles. And Abubakar is the defensive specialist. He averages nearly two blocks a game. So watch out for the Traores down low. Can USC win that battle? That could play a, a big factor too. And then after the men finish up, the women will be playing. Uh, they'll be playing UC Riverside. UC Riverside's four and three. They started off the season 0-3. Now they've won four straight. So they come in hot, I guess. Uh, they played UCLA early in the season. The only real big-time competition, they lost by 38. Can USC do the same thing? That's what I want to see in this game. And now the the Highlanders are led by Jordan Webster, 15.7 points per game and five and a half rebounds. And Matea Bryant, 13.3 points and a little bit over nine rebounds per game. And similar to Long Beach State on the men's side, they have a good turnover margin because they average over 10 steals a game. So in both of these games, it's going to come down. Another factor will be USC taking care of the ball, both when women and men. For that game, Chuck, and it just looks like more of the same for me for for the women. I, I I think they will roll in this game, win easily. You brought up the UCLA game for for UC Riverside, thirty eight point margin. I see something similar happening with this USC team. I think in women's college basketball, just the depth of these programs, it's not quite up to speed with where the men are. Where UC Riverside might be able to give the USC men's team a game, I just don't see the women being able to do that. With that, we're going to jump into our break, and then Connor and I will return, and we'll answer your guys' questions. We'll also dive into some some topics that we want to talk about a little bit more and that we talked about a little bit with Andy Enfield um, in, in a phone conversation. We couldn't get him on the podcast, but we are able to talk to him. So we'll we'll have some of his answers and, and you know give you guys a, a look at what he said that USC needs to improve on, what are the big areas he's looking, and you know what can be done for that to happen. Welcome back from the break. Make sure you're checking out our sponsors and please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them into podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple double or the basketball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed to us. We we teased it. We teased it. We told you guys we're going to do a Q&A at some point. We're going to do it. And because we couldn't get any infield on the line on the podcast uh, directly, then we decided, hey, let's put it out there. Let's let's see what the people want to talk about. I know things are the the shine has come off the the men's team a little bit. The women's team is still rocking, and the men's team is getting Bronny back. So a little bit of stuff to talk about. But let's jump into your guys' questions. We'll start with just Jones. She said, "What's happened to our men's basketball team? They started out looking like a top team, and now not so much." Don't have the same energy and intensity they did at the beginning of the season. Now looks like an infield coach team, to be honest. Just mediocre. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tough question there. And Andy Enfield would say the schedule's been hard and they haven't been healthy. Give them some time to come together. And December is going to be important, like we talked about. These next few weeks will determine the future of the season. And that's sort of how I look at it too, Shotgun. So what's happened to them so far? It's pretty clear they've underachieved. You, you've said in past episodes, Shotgun, you get kind of one mulligan and it was that UC Irvine game, but then losing to Oklahoma by two, not really keeping it close against Gonzaga. You probably were going to split those games, but they just didn't really look great. The Oklahoma game was a winnable game. The Gonzaga game, they, they didn't really show up at the beginning of those games. So I, I think overall, they just got to come together during these next couple of weeks. And I, I hope that they feel a sense of urgency because if they don't, it might be a long season. for them. Yeah. And we talked about how December, you have more chances to practice. That's even more important for this group because they just haven't practiced together a ton. They were beat up in the preseason. Vinci Wachuku didn't practice until the very end of the preseason. You had Arrington Page out for a length of time with Mono. Obviously, Bronny's been out. And just Brandon Gardner was out for a length of time. I think he's still out right now. So not having everyone there to practice, it makes it that much more difficult to find that synergy, one together, to play better team defense, to help and share and do all those things that you need to do, but also – you know, you don't get a great feel because you can't play five on five consistently, you know, when you only have eight players to practice and that's happened a lot with USC. So you you take out the five on five portions or you got to put in, you know, assistant coaches or managers or whatever it may be. So this, this part of the year is super important for them. And it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to progress especially when you have so many young players, when you have Vinci Wachuku, who's barely played the last two years, when you have Oziah Sellers, who's not getting a ton of run, when you have Arrington Page, Kajani Wright, those guys can all continue to progress. And not to mention Isaiah Collier, who's been really good, but still has another level he can take his game to. So this could be a huge opportunity for them to take some strides as they get ready to go into conference play. And maybe we see a different team when they get to conference play at the very end of the month. If not, then like Connor said, this could be a long season for USC and be very disappointing if that is the case. H. Buckets, great name, by the way, want to know why does our half-court offense continue to be let our best guard, whether it be Jordan McLaughlin, whether it be Tajidi, whether it be Boogie, do something with poor spacing and no off-ball motion. It's been a stagnant half-court offense for years, and putting Arrington Page in the corner on possessions makes no sense. But he does love the new pod, and he says, fight on. I'll push back on the offense just kind of being stagnant a little bit. I, I think it's a it's a good point. They run a lot of that dribble handoff stuff at the top of the key that leads to some easier looks. But it's a really good question because shotgun, I think you watch some of the premier teams in college basketball and every few possessions like, oh, that was a nice pass. That was an easy bucket. How many easy buckets is USC getting lately? It feels like it's a lot of Boogie Ellis dribbling late into the shot clock and maybe he'll bail you out with the three. They 
didn't make some wide open threes against Gonzaga, but I, I feel like the open shots that they're getting, a lot of them are, are threes and they're not getting a lot of easy layups. And I just think with the talent that they have, it, it should be easy. So the question as to why, I, I think it has to do with the team not really totally gelling quite yet. And the practice stuff, like you talked about the coaching, of course, I mean, this H buckets too has clearly been a fan for, for a long time, bringing this, <laughs> bringing up some of those, those different guards. And, and, I think the coaching staff is probably one of the biggest reasons why, but I think you just have to let this group gel and and hope it gets better. But we're doing a lot of hoping on this show right now. It's not for them to prove it. I think there's two things and it comes down to the big men. It's they don't have someone they can throw the ball into consistently and play with back to their basket. So you're not going to run those type sets until someone shows you they can consistently do that. Now we've seen Vince occasionally and they're giving him a lot of opportunities, but He's super raw right now, and that leads to fumbling the ball away or taking a bad shot because he's basically a freshman still. They also, the big men don't necessarily catch the ball great, so they're pick-and-roll sets that they want to do. Like, Josh Morgan doesn't have the best hands, so do you, do you want to run a ton of pick-and-roll with him if he's not going to be able to catch the feed? Because Isaiah Collier, that's where some of his turnovers just come from, is guys not catching the ball well. And, again, going back to they haven't practiced a lot together – it, it takes time to get that, again, that synergy when you're running pick and roll to be really good. You know, I play pickup basketball tonight, try to run a pick and roll, guy pick and popped when I passed for a roll, ball went out of bounds, turnover shotgun. He's throwing it to nobody. But that's that's an issue because especially when you have a guy like DJ Rodman, you can run a pick and roll with him. He can pick and pop or he can roll the basket and you have your options. But if you don't know how to read that person because you haven't practiced with them a ton, it it's, makes it that much more difficult. So, are the coaches going to now call that play? So maybe we see some more diversity in the the style of plays they're calling going forward if they can get on the same page a little bit more. Um, and hopefully we see a little bit of that because again, it hasn't been it hasn't been great. Um, it has I don't feel like it's always that way. When they had a dominant post player and Evan Mobley or Isaiah Mobley, you didn't see those let our best guard have the ball and go to work. Now late in the clock, that's what's going to happen, but. You know, that, that hasn't necessarily been the case. It's been the case when they don't have an inside presence at all, which has been the last two years. Last year, Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis basically, you know, give the ball to them, give the ball to Drew in the low post and let him go to work and, you know, try to facilitate for other people too. Frank Cruz want to know, men's team, three biggest strengths and three biggest weaknesses. Uh, you go first. You give one. I'll give one. And then we'll collectively come up with the last one. First strength has to be Boogie Ellis with yeah. how he's scoring and the step that he's taken. So I start there. I'm going to go with you have a defensive player of the year candidate in Kobe Johnson. Now can everyone around him, can he uplift everyone's intensity? That's a, that's a question there, but he's definitely a strength on, on the defensive end. Last one is the, is the spotlight on me. Do you got anything obvious? I, I think their other strength right now, it's kind of to be determined. I, I think Boogie is great. I think Kobe defends well but nothing right now with them like the three-point shooting overall has been good but then there are games like where Oziah Sellers can't hit a shot and you need a guy like that so nothing jumps out to me as an obvious strength for for the third thing I don't know if you feel differently shotgun I would say they have the future number one pick quite possibly top three pick for sure um, I think he's definitely a strength for them he you could put him in weakness on the defensive end if you want to but he's a strength and he's only going to continue to get better. I think, I think he's a kid that takes everything in, takes the coaching and will continue to get better. Look at the shooting from high school to now. 
Like he works on his game. He wants to get better. So I think that, that he's definitely a strength. Um, we kind of went with three different players. You know, the, that that's kind of the issue right now with them too, is like, do we don't know what the team strengths are because they haven't been consistent. They've been up and down. Their weaknesses have been consistent, but their strengths have not necessarily other than, you know, Boogie being a scorer. Um, but overall, the team stuff. How about weaknesses? What do you want to start with? Well, just going back to the H buckets question and your answer about the big men, like it's kind of now or never for, for those guys. Like they're, they're getting, USC's getting nothing from those guys uh, offensively outside of like Arrington page had a nice game against Gonzaga, but we're just seeing consistent mistakes on offense from Josh Morgan, whether the ball's hitting off his hand or Vinci Wichuku just getting up to speed. He's making some mistakes. Kajani, right. I don't think is really giving you much on offense. So to your point earlier, shotgun, I, I, I kind of start there because I think with competent big men play on offense, that would help this team tenfold with all the talented guards that they have. And just with the floor spacing, the fact that you really have no reliable post score right now, I think is the biggest weakness by a mile. Yeah, and Andy Enfield, when we talked to him, basically said that they need more from their low post. They need they need their low post presence where an interior guy can score, so that teams aren't just you know focused on the guards and you know running Boogie Ellis off screens or off the three point line things like that. And I asked him about Vincey Wichupu, and obviously he's a guy that has a ton of potential, but he's just super raw and he's super. It's 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 even more so the the rawness is showing because he's rusty. Because he basically hasn't played in, you know, he played what for two months in the last 24 or something like that. Uh, you know, since his, his heart uh, thing that happened, you know, he's barely played. He came back and then he had the back issue and he had to have surgery. So it's just the rust there. And they're giving him a lot of chances. And I asked Andy Hinfield about that. Do you got to keep giving him chances? He said he's played through a lot of mistakes already so he's saying it's time for him to step up uh, he said he'll continue to do that he'll continue to get opportunities but it's time for him to start taking those steps and the baby steps so i think he's the big key for me in the post josh morgan is not a big post you know presence for you he's going to be a post presence on the defensive end they're going to block shots but if they can eventually get to a point where they're comfortable with josh morgan coming off the bench that he's not their best option as a starter that is a positive sign to me not to say anything about Josh Morgan, but that tells me that Vince Wichuku or Arrington Page has really taken that step forward to move into the starting lineup, and they're playing on both ends of the court. And so that's something that we'll have to see um, as we go forward. So, yeah, the low post presence is a weakness. That leads into the other one being the rebounding. Uh, the rebounding has been atrocious, and it's on the big men. And I was, you know, I was disappointed. I thought, now, granted, Eastern Washington is not any good. They're a terrible team. But I thought the energy and intensity to go get rebounds, go attack rebounds, was a lot different. And then the Gonzaga game, they let somebody like Ben Gregg come in off the bench and just run him over. Like, he got whatever he wanted. He was going up over him. Like, they were just waiting for rebounds to come to him. Like, it was very passive. And I don't know if it was the stage. They got a little stage fright from playing in Vegas and being against Gonzaga. I don't know. But it was... it was disappointing to see that that did not continue after from Eastern Washington after that was something they obviously emphasized coming off that Oklahoma game. Uh, what about the third one? I guess we got to go team defense, right? Yeah, defense or turnovers. The turnovers were a little bit better against Gonzaga, so I'd probably lean defense right now. They're, they want to hold teams to 40%. Gonzaga's over 50% of the game. Tells you all you need to know. The defense has not been good enough, and Andy Enfield said we need to go back and – 
kind of reteach the defense because right now it's just not working. So I, I think that was a little bit of a back to the drawing board game for USC. And you hope when they go back to it, they have some better results. Big Ben RV said, how far can each team go? What's their ceiling? And at minimum, what's a successful season for each team? So let's start with how far can each team go? We'll start with ceiling. I said sweet 16 for the men at the beginning of the year. I guess I'll stick with that because they still do have a lot of talent, but I'm not very confident that they can get to that ceiling right now. Hopefully they can turn it around. Um, and then for the women, I think they can make the final four for sure. I don't know if you feel that way too, Shotgun. Uh, I'm I'm very optimistic. And I think the ceiling, not granted this is ceiling, this is not me predicting either one of these will happen, but I think the ceiling for either one of them is, is final four. The men, if they actually got post presence from Paige, from, from Iwachukwu, it's a completely different team, in my in my opinion. And if the defense gets back to where it should be, like this should be a Houston light defense. I don't expect them to play as good defense as Houston, but that's been their calling card for almost five years now. And for it not to be something that has been ingrained in this group is disappointing. And maybe if they start getting a little bit more from DJ Robin on the offensive end, I think that's a would be another thing that could take the offense a little bit further. You know, those spot up shooters haven't really done great. I mean, the, the beginning of that game, USC starts 0 for 5, shooting threes, all pretty good looks. Gonzaga, what was it, 4 or 5 they started the game? And, again, those were open looks, and that's the issue. You're giving teams open looks, and you're not knocking down your own look open looks. And that's the signs of not a good team. So can USC turn that around and start showing some signs of a good team? And then uh, what would at minimum, what's a successful season for each team? I don't want to change the goalpost, but for the men right now, I'd say you got to make the tournament and that'll be a success. At the beginning of the year, I would say you got to win a game. Boogie Ellis has never won an NCAA tournament game in his career. That's sort of the next hoop that they got to jump through, even if they fall short of making the Sweet 16, which I, I think they do have that potential. Just getting to the round of 32 for the men, that would be a big success just because that hasn't happened in the past few years. I think for the women, I know they've had their struggles in the past few years, but Getting the Sweet 16, I think, would be a big success. That's year one of Juju. She kind of shows you that she kind of blazes the path, I should say. And then you get that great recruiting class next year where the sky's the limit. So if you can be one of the top 16, 16 teams in the country this season, that'll keep that momentum going heading into a really, really big year a, a year from now. And uh, that's sort of how I see a successful season for the women. Yeah, I, I think the uh, – the... The goalposts have moved for the, for both teams. I think the women, you know, say Sweet 16, I, I would say coming into the season, I'd be like making the tournament two years in a row after such a long drought would be a successful season. Uh, but, you know, didn't know that Juju was going to be quite as special as she has been. So Sweet 16, that sounds pretty good. And winning a game, I, I think I agree with you there. I would have said Sweet 16 at the beginning of the season as well for the men. Uh, but that's where we're at. We had a couple of fun questions from our colleagues. Chris Torino wanted to know, what type of pickup basketball players are you guys? I'm a three and D guy. I'm only five foot eight. So that's really the only role <laughs> that, that I can play, but it's a lowercase D you're not getting much defense from me. I'm going to work really hard, but my conditioning is not where it should be. The last time I played basketball shotgun, it was a while ago, but it was a hot day here in LA. And I was like, first few possessions. Oh, this is great. And then it hit me. I was gassed. So yeah, I'll, I'll make a three every now and then I'll, I'll try hard on defense, but the effort level that you're going to get, it just isn't going to be that great because I'm not conditioned. <laughs> I'm more of a D and re guy instead of three. My three point shot has been, was terrible tonight playing. Um, occasionally it's on was not, 
I, I give burst of energy. You know, I save all my energy for the defensive end. I play good defense. Uh, and then on the offensive end, I might not make it to half court on some of the possessions. Like I'm conserving as much energy as possible. But then when I do like once a game, once, once per game, I'll have a burst. Like, all right, I'm going to take this one hard to the hole and try to make something happen. And then people are like, Whoa, where'd that come from? I'm like, ah, it's in there. It's just, I'm just that much out of shape. So that's kind of player I am. Um, used to play all the time. Coming out of college, like there were times where we'd go from gym to gym to gym with, with some buddies. Like we would play for 12 hours straight with the only stops either when you're lost or when you're traveling to another gym. And we had, and where I'm from in Georgia, like when you lost, you had to travel to another gym because you're not waiting an hour and a half, two hours to get back on the court. So uh, we were just like, all right, we'll go to the next place uh, type of thing. So that's the type of pickup guy I am. Uh, got a little bit of athleticism and a little bit of shot on occasion, but not really, not recently. Has triple double ever recorded a triple double? Hell no. Hell no. Uh, I could I could score in bunches like playing in my high school rec league. And I, I was never a player who got past the rec league. I, I wasn't doing anything really competitively. So, I, you know, I could score a little bit, but like a lot of assists or rebounds or steals or any, anything close to 10 uh, with, with those stats. I'm afraid not. And then he wanted to know, build your all time starting five of players you've covered high school or college. I probably could have put a little bit more time into this, but I think I have a pretty good idea. So point guard, that was the toughest one for me. I start with Tyler Ennis, who when I was a freshman at Syracuse and covered that team as a student journalist, he was the freshman point guard and it's going back a little bit shotgun. And he was a first round draft pick. I don't know if you remember this guy, but he he was a tremendous college basketball player. He was a guy who played so well, he got into the league and then it just didn't work out for him in the league. I wish he stuck around at Syracuse for longer. He could have been an orange legend, but he was one and done and it, it is what it is, but he was exceptional. And then I have Juju Watkins there too, but uh, I know we'll probably lean with the men for this one. Second guard, Jaime Jaquez. I covered him at Camarillo high school and uh, I didn't really cover UCLA obviously, but then he he played there. Then I go to Onyeko Okongwu at one of the forward spots, covered him when he was at Chino Hills. My other forward spot, Jeremy Grant, covered him when I was at Syracuse. And then the center is Evan Mobley, who he was before I started covering USC, but I covered him in high school at Rancho Christian. So I think it's a pretty good starting five. It needs some shooting. Only really Haquez and Tyler Ennis can, can shoot the three. Grant's gotten better. So if they played the 2-3 zone, I think they'd be deadly. But the, the shooting <laughs> is working out with them. All right. I got Kyrie. Um oh. St. Anthony, I think St. Anthony's is where he played, came out for the the Nike extravaganza at Modern Day. Always some dynamic players there. Uh, so I got to see him in action, to cover him. I got for my shooting guard, I got, you know, I could lean two different ways here of who I want to put at shooting guard. I go Lou Williams, saw him in high school, playing at South Gwinnett. Um, when he was the number one player in the country, he was committed to go to Georgia. I think he went straight to pro. Um, and then Clay Thompson, during his time with Washington State, I was shooting photos. I was shooting photos when he dropped like 37, I think it was, in the Pac-10 basketball tournament at Staples Center. So that was pretty pretty impressive. The most impressive high school player I've ever seen was Dwight Howard. He was phenomenal. Like he was, he played for a very small team. He and Javaris Crittenton were on the same team. Uh, Javaris Crittenton, obviously, is path went way different 
two very unique paths those two guys have been on, I'll just say. Uh, but Dwight Howard's like he's getting like double team, triple team. He's like throwing passes behind his neck and stuff in the post. Like he was fantastic. And then Evan Mobley is probably my four with Dwight Howard at the five. So Mobley was fantastic at USC. And then I wanted to put Jordan McLaughlin somewhere in there because I love J Mac so much. Uh so he's probably he might get in the starting lineup if Lou Williams wants to be our sixth man coming off the bench because he's so good at that role. So you yeah, put J-Mac at the one with Kyrie at the two and then Clay at the three. I'm okay with that. Your team would definitely beat mine, but uh, a lot of talent on both sides. Definitely there. Some of these are one-offs. Uh, you know, gets to cover them for a couple – one game or a couple games for Clay Thompson, um, but I'm counting them. That was the first guys that popped to mind, so that's who I'm going with. And then our colleague Jack want to know who wins in a three-point contest between us two and who also wins in a dunk contest on an eight-foot hoop. I have no ups, so I, I, I can you jump? jump? I, I'll give you the, the dunk contest. I think I could hold my own in a three-point contest. I'm, I'm taking myself in both of them. I had a bad okay. shooting night tonight, but I'm still going to take myself in both of them. Well, hey, I don't know when we'll ever get the chance, but we should do a three-point <laughs> shooting competition. I'm not really interested in doing a dunk contest. I feel like I'll get hurt. If you talked to me 15 years ago, I'd be all over that. But, uh, yeah, so the three-point shooting, I think that could be a good matchup. The dunk contest, I'll give you that one. All right, well, that's all the questions we had submitted. Uh, I'll check and see if we got any late submissions in a minute. Uh, if we did, we'll throw them in at the very end. But we want to talk about a couple of topics. Like I said, we got a chance to, to chat with Andy Enfield uh, on the phone and, you know, want to talk about some of the, the key areas, one that USC needs to improve, but the key areas of where this team is right now. And the first thing we had to talk about is the breaking news of the last couple of weeks that, oh, Bronny is back. He's been cleared. He's got to go through some checks. He had a check on, I think it was Tuesday of this week that he had to pass to be able to play, to go, uh, to be full contact, that happened. He had a full contact practice, I believe, on Thursday. So Andy Enfield said it appears everything is in line for him to play on Sunday. Um, I guess uh, Long Beach State make his debut then. Hey, the Lakers don't play, so LeBron could come, so it works there. Now, I want to take it back to the timeline of Vince Uichuku. He was cleared. He, he played like three days later, basically same type of thing, clear for contact, able to play. But he only played like three minutes, and I've talked with some people in the USC program, and they felt like they kind of rushed him back. They were kind of remorseful that they put him in that situation instead of waiting maybe another week and give him another week to get caught up. Um, now, it was just impressive for him to be back, and maybe that's what Brian does in this game. It's good for him to be back on the court. He plays a couple minutes, and you know he's out. He doesn't really have a huge impact or anything. And then maybe next week against Auburn, you see him get five to ten real minutes. Uh, or maybe even more, depending on how well you can play. But I think it's better to get him in at a home environment, one, because you can potentially sell out the crowd. But two, get him in the home environment, no pressure there on him versus throwing him in at Auburn. Now, you can argue that there's more pressure at home versus being on the road at Auburn. But rather than a hostile environment, let him get his feet wet at home and then go. Uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about the the potential of Bronny coming back? And then we'll discuss, you know, what he's actually going to bring to this group. It's very exciting. And, and you mentioned starting him out at home. I absolutely think the stands are going to be really filled for this game. They were filled for the home opener against, what was it, Cal State Bakersfield, I think, way back 
few weeks ago, and, and that was sort of surprising to me. And there were so many Bronny fans just at that game. I think between just the fact that it was Bronny's first game at USC at home and maybe just the first USC game at home in general, there were a lot of people there. The interest now, I, I think, is going to be through the roof. It's a weekend afternoon game. So I, I expect uh, the, the buzz to be awesome. So I, I think that's really good. I like that they're getting him started at home as to what he's going to bring. I think with Vince and Chuck, and we've hit on this in the past, he was just so raw. And so it's really hard to be a big guy in, in, in college basketball. And it's, it's hard to do everything making that jump from high school. But I, I think Bronny, there's some stuff that can kind of instantly translate, even if he hasn't played in a while, which is playing really good defense and, and, just giving it all he has on that side of the ball. And then the three-point shot, it's kind of like you either have it or you don't. He can be rusty a little bit, but I know he's been practicing those even when he wasn't been able, hasn't been able to run. So I think he will be able to give USC something. The question is, how long is he going to play? And once he does start to play a little bit more, can he take that step forward and really be an impact player on this team? I'm not totally sold on that right now just because of his whole situation. I, I hope he can be. But I need to see that before I can confidently say he's going to come back and he's going to give you X, Y, Z. I think the biggest thing that this gives USC is not necessarily something they'll show up on Sunday. It's what will show up Monday through Saturday uh, or Monday through Friday next week is that they can practice harder now. There's another guard, more depth. That simple, you know, Andy Enfield told me they played, they've had six, seven or eight guys at practice at times. So can you get to 10 and actually play five on five for one, but also it gives you more guard depth. So now, hey, can someone knock down a three? There's been games where you're looking around going, is there anyone around here that can do that? And Harrison Hornery had to step up. Now Bronny gives you another guy that can knock down threes, but also he's going to put a fire on some of those other guys, whether it be Josiah Sellers, whether it be Isaiah Collier. Hey, Isaiah Collier, you're turning the ball over. Hey, you're not playing defense. Guess what? We have someone else we can sub in. Bronny's going to go in there. We know he's going to play defense, and we're going to be satisfied with that. And if, if you need to come sit over here, then that's what's going to happen. And you, know, you saw Isaiah Collier get benched late in that Oklahoma game. Like I said, he took it like he should. Um, and you know, I thought he came back in the Eastern Washington game, pretty, played pretty well. So Bronny gives them an extra tool to help coach up Isaiah Collier as well, as well as Bronny is just kind of a the way he goes about his business is like a professional. He's like his dad in that regard. So maybe that helps the other players, especially when he's out there on defense and he's guarding guys in practice and he's up in their grill. Like, okay, this is what it takes. Cause then he starts getting playing time over whoever else. Maybe that's a, enough to light a fire on, under that next guy to say, oh, I got to start doing what he's doing if I want to get those minutes back from him. Um, and I, I think that's something, you know, it's been missing. Kobe Johnson can do that, but if a freshman comes in and starts stealing your minutes, okay, now you start going, okay, I better start doing what he's doing or else I'm going to be sitting over on the bench uh, watching him play a lot this season. I'm curious, Shotgun, what do you think about the spotlight that's going to be on this team now that Bronny is playing and just the crowds and just the environment I, I think that Auburn game is going to be really interesting because of course there's already buzz with USC playing Auburn but now you throw Bronny James into it and maybe a few Auburn fans who weren't going to go to that game or go in there and it, it gets even louder I just feel like this team right now they're still trying to figure stuff out and now they got a big old spotlight right on them and I don't know if that's the most helpful thing for them right now I think Bronny coming back of course for all the reasons you said helps them but all the 
extra stuff that comes with the son of LeBron James integrating into a team right now. Do you think that hurts them at all? Or am I reading too much into that? No, it's a great question. I think it goes one of two ways. You know, do you shine the spotlight or do you hide from the spotlight? And that's a personal, each player one by one. Some guys want to be on the free throw line in the game. Other guys want to get rid of that pass as soon as possible. So someone else can shoot that free throw. What words did were thrown in that tweet that we talked about? Lackluster intensity, talking about Isaiah Collier, but then the team as a whole, lackadaisical. Those are things to me that say you shine a spotlight on it. All right, I'm gonna I'm open my I'm getting my adrenaline going. I'm gonna go, and maybe it's good for them to have that on them because it's you're not playing UC River, you're not playing Bakersfield, you're not playing. Eastern Washington. You're going to play Auburn in their house. It's going to be loud and crazy. You're going to play Long Beach State, and it's going to be a packed house. So does that intensity start ramping up? Like, all right, everyone's here to see us. We need to start doing it rather than be like, ho-hum, ho-hum, we're playing a Big West team. We should beat them. Oh, wait, UC Irvine's beating us. Are we going to do something? Like, And no, there's no crowd there to fully rally them around. With Bronny, you're going to get that spotlight, so maybe that's a positive. And I think that comes down to the character of the players, like whether or not they want that or they don't. And that's hard to say. It's hard to say about a team because it comes down to each individual. Some guys want the ball in the moment. Other guys don't want to do anything to do with it. They're running away from the spotlight. So you would hope that that's a positive for them. Okay, Bronny's back. Everyone's going to be paying attention. Your mama's going to be watching. Their mama's going to be watching. Everybody back home is watching just because they want to see what happens with Bronny, and they're going to watch me too. You know, it's 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 going to be appointment viewing. So, all right, are you going to step up and you know, like oh, I know you saw Bronny playing, right? Did you see that fifteen I dropped? You know, or whatever. So I, I think it can be a positive for them, and that's something I'm really interested to see because if it's not, this team's done. This team is done. If they don't, if they don't take that as a positive and run with it, I think it's a positive for guys like Boogie, Kobe, Isaiah, more established players. I just wonder what's going through some of these big guys' minds right now when they're sort of struggling to figure things out, and we're seeing a lot of turnovers, balls off guys' hands, it just hasn't clicked. I wonder when the spotlight is on those guys, can they figure it out, or does it make them a little bit more nervous? So I, I think the established guys will probably be fine, and they'll have a bad game every now and then. I mean, Boogie Ellis didn't play great in the NCAA tournament last year, but I, I don't say he's not a big-game player after that. That just happens. Michigan State played a uh, really good defense on him. I just worry about those guys who have a lot to prove right now. I will say that Aaron Tapage played pretty well in that spotlight game in, in Vegas against Gonzaga. Josh Morgan, Boogie Ellis didn't play great in the NCAA tournament. Josh Morgan was on fire in that game. So can we see more from him in that type of a situation? So, you know, hopefully, hopefully it is. We want to see the best out of these players and, you know, see them play at their full potential. So, you know, that's something to definitely watch going forward. The biggest thing, though, Bronny's going to bring defense. And when we're talking with Andy Enfield, it had to be brought up, I don't know, it felt like every other sentence, every at least every other paragraph when he was talking, like defense, defense, defense. Because this defense is not – I mean, this team is not playing the defense that they are accustomed to playing over the last four or five years, and that's the biggest issue with this team right now. Even if you don't – if your big men fumble the ball, you can't throw it to them, Boogie's still going to put up, you know, 20-something. Isaiah Collier can get you 15 to 20, 
and other guys will space out, and you can still win a game 65 to 60 or 58 to 52 if you play good defense, but they have not been doing that. So, you know, what's the biggest thing for this defense to get better? That's the million-dollar question right now. I, I think with me, Andy Enfield brought up guarding the ball, guarding the low posts, and giving early help. So when we talk about defensive improvements, I mean, I can give my opinions, which is in intensity and, and passion, but hearing the coach talk about three specific things, I thought that was really interesting. And guarding the ball, that's sort of a, you know, if you're not guarding the ball well, you're not going to be a very good team. I, I thought the other two things were more interesting because we talk all about the, the big guys not giving you what you need on offense, but he hasn't clearly been happy with some of that low post defense. I think Josh Morgan had that great game against Seton Hall. And then since then there've been some issues with him and with everyone defensively down there. So I, I look at that. I agree with Andy Enfield there. And then giving early help, that seems like a practice adjustment, something that they can replicate in practice for a given opponent and, and work on just in a scout team setting having someone pretend to be someone on the other team and say, Hey, when they do this, we got to give early help. And I, I just think the team will gel, come together more as, as they practice together more and giving early help. I think that's something that you can work through on the practice floor. I think they all kind of go together because yeah. if you don't guard the ball, suddenly you need help and then you got to get the early help. And then if you don't get the early help, now the post has to step up. And now he tried, Josh Morgan tries to block the shot the shot is missed because Josh Morgan affects the shot, but the backside's wide open. There's the, the offensive rebound, and all those things kind of pile up consistently for USC, and that's been the thing. So even Kobe Johnson at times has let guys go by him because he's you know looking for the steal or or whatnot. Can they get back to being fundamentally sound? Move your feet lateral, side to side, all those type of things, fighting over screens, you know, doing the things they're supposed to be doing on the pick and roll type of situations. That's the, the biggest thing. Can you get back to the fundamentals? Like break it all down. This is the time of year. You break it all down, get back to running and just playing defense. All right, we're going to do defensive slides. We're going to do defensive slides across the entire court for 10 minutes, whatever it takes. I don't, I mean, I'm not a coach. I don't know what exactly we'll get to all these players. Um, but like I, I think it's time you take it back. Like, we're not going to focus on our offensive sets. Boogie can still get his. Isaiah Collier can still bully ball. We'll work on pick and roll individually, you know, two-on-two type of thing because we need to get that better. We'll work on shooting because we need to get our our three-point shooting better. But let's just work on defense. Let's get back to the defense. And if we play defense, then we can win games. So he wants to, you know, Andy Infield talked about the main metric that he's talked about year over year is holding teams under 40%. And they haven't consistently done that. And that's going to be the big thing. Can they get back to that? If they can do that, you know, they beat Auburn last year at home by doing that. Can they do that again uh, with this stretch they have coming up? And the biggest thing is starts with Isaiah Collier. He's the number one player. He's not a captain. He's not Boogie or Kobe, but he's the guy everyone's looking at. And you'll see the same thing when Bronny gets back. You know, everyone's going to be focused on those two guys. Bronny's going to give you that defensive intensity. They need it from Isaiah Carr. And we talked about the tweet, uh, you know, Jonathan Gavoni's tweet, which reads, not every NBA executive is sold on Isaiah Carr yet with detractors citing his often lackluster defense intensity, questionable decision-making, and streaky shooting as concerns. USC is 5-3 and three on the season, looking lackadaisical as a whole with ill-fitting pieces. And some of that feels a little bit harsh, 
but a lot of it feels true. But I want to caution, like we're not saying that Isaiah Collier is doomed. He's still the guy that the, the funny part is he's moved up the mock draft boards to number one, but there are some concerns. And now can he answer those concerns? When those concerns come up, do you answer them? That's the big thing. And uh, I asked Andy Infield about this tweet. And Andy Infield is not on social media, if you guys do not know. So I don't think he saw it. I read him part of it. Um, but he asked him about it. And he he didn't want to say anything specific about Isaiah, about his defensive intensity or anything. But he said, everyone, everyone needs to play, have more defensive intensity. So what did you think? You know, we, we – I've thrown it out there, but the what does Isaiah Collier have to do better in your eyes to move back up the uh, the ranking for some of these NBA executives? And is it was that tweet too harsh, or is it spot on? I didn't think it was too harsh based on the last couple of weeks for USC. My advice to Isaiah Collier, I know he's not going to listen to me, but he's got a great defensive guard teammate in Kobe Johnson. Watch some of his defensive highlights and just try to copy him. I mean, what Kobe Johnson does is incredible. Even in a Gonzaga game where USC didn't play particularly well, I can think of three or four moments from Kobe Johnson where he sticks his hand in, gets a steal and and he just has a heads up play a block or something. And he had some foul trouble, so he couldn't play a ton. Um, but I, I, I think fi- figuring out how to, how to fit defensively on this USC team, there are some good defenders on the team and, and, and watching them can, can go a big way. But I, I think to what you said, Shotgun, those are concerns, and now it's time to fix them. Nothing I've seen from Isaiah Collier leads me to believe he's going to like bury his head in the sand and say, I'm the number one pick, I'm doing everything right. He wants to get better. He's using this year to prepare for the NBA. So – I don't know maybe exactly what specifically has to do other than just try a little harder and, and bring that intensity like X's and O's wise. I, I, I don't want to sit here and say, Oh, if, if he does this, he'll be great. I, I think he has the tools to, to be better. I think watching Kobe Johnson can help him. And I think the coaching staff knows how hard of a worker he is and how much he wants to get better. And I do think they're going to figure it out. So I, I expect the defense to get better with him. And I, I do think there are some long-term issues on this team that are going to, continue to bother them into March. I think by the time March rolls around, Isaiah Collier, his defense, I think is going to be better and people will be talking about it. Maybe not as a strength for him, but I don't think as a weakness anymore. Yeah. Again, it comes back to that intensity, you know, just times where, and with that tweet, there was cutups of different plays where he was not playing great defense. A lot of them, when looking at them to me, he's not in the defensive stance when he's on the ball. Like he's not, he's not down in this stance. He's just kind of standing up, you know, he's, kind of watching a lot more than being active. And again, I, I go back to there are some reasons why that maybe that is like he's probably used to resting on defense, coming at being the star in high school. You know, you rest on defense, you take care of everything on offense because other guys can't put the ball in the basket. This is a different level now. Guys are faster, guys are bigger, all those type things. Those are all true. And he's got to play catch up a little bit. You know, when you come on the scene, you break on the scene, very few freshmen can do what he did immediately or what Juju's doing immediately, but they're going to be some learning curve, you know, and you got to, all right, now's the time. Can we learn? Can we get better? Those type of things. He's the number one prospect for a reason, and he still has an opportunity to do all that. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he plays over the next couple of weeks, especially at the end of, of the month. You know, like I said, this is a time where you'll get more practices these next couple of weeks than you will um, you, you know, the rest of the season, basically, because you don't have any classes and stuff like that. So when they go to Oregon at the very end of the month, Oregon, Oregon State, I'm very curious to see, does he look different 
then maybe we saw him in that Gonzaga game. Then we saw him in the Oklahoma game. If he does, that's a great sign for USC going forward. Another thing they got to fix, though, Isaiah Collier, like we said, we think he's going to get better. I don't know about you, but I don't know if this rebound is going to get better. Yeah, I that's something I struggle with, Shotgun, because you asked Andy Enfield about it, and he said guys just need to do their job. And then we asked Chris Capco about it, and he said we emphasize it. We talk about it a lot. I just wonder, can you do something more than just trying to instill in guys that they need to box out and do their job and talk about it? Like, can you do something in practice or if someone misses a rebound and I'm sure they're doing this, can you pull them immediately? Like what is it going to take to, to get these guys to, to rebound a little bit better? Cause I think with Josh Morgan, I don't know about you shotgun, but his knees look a little weird to me right now. And I don't know how well he's getting off the ground. So some of the rebounding deficiencies with him, if it's a health thing, like I'm not going to hold that against him. He he's just limited. So that is what it is. But some of the other guys, I mean, Boogie Ellis, I think was the leading rebounder for USC against Gonzaga. He played the most minutes, but that's a guard who, who's sticking his nose in there and getting a lot of boards. There's no reason why other guys can't have that intensity and, and, and can't rebound the ball the way Boogie did against Gonzaga. But for whatever reason, I, I just don't feel like it's sticking with some of these guys and they emphasize it. They talk about it, but can they do more? That's my question to you. Like, how, how do you take that next step? Cause clearly they're talking about it. I mean, I thought that when I asked any infield, the question, the first thing he said is the guys that rebound will play. So it's pretty simple. That's it. Guys that rebound will play. Now, will we see that in actuality? Um, and is there anyone that's going to do it enough to be able to eat up some of those minutes? Because um, that, to me, if I'm Kajarian Wright, I say, Coach, I'll do it. I got you. I'll rebound because he's not getting a ton of minutes. I would just go in there like that's my one goal. Every game I'm going in, I don't care about touching the ball on offense. If I get an offensive putback, great. I'm going to play defense. I'm going to rebound. And I think that's what some of these guys need to get in their head. And I think that's part of the issue is like everybody wants to score a little bit. Everyone wants to show what they can do on the offensive end. And they're not fully recognizing that if I just be, you know, whether it's a wing, I just be a three and D guy or it's a big, I just be a D and re guy and rebound. I'm going to get more playing time. So don't come whining about your playing time because you shot good in one game. If you're not going to play defense and you're not going to rebound. So I think that's the thing that they're going to hold over players. Like you're not playing defense, you're not rebounding, you're not playing. And I think adding Bronny back helps because those are things you feel like you feel comfortable he's going to do. And it just gives you more depth to be able to do that. And the further and further into the season you get Vinci with Chukwu, the more practices he gets, you feel more comfortable there just because he didn't have a preseason. Uh, So he's still working his way up. Maybe right about now he's kind of ending his preseason. Now is he ready for the rest of the of the year? I don't know. So, yeah, the rebounding, I don't know if it's going to get fixed. Is it going to be something that's going to be an issue all season and they just have to, you know, deal with it? Like, that's going to be pretty disappointing. And Josh Morgan, you don't have to have the the biggest hops or anything, but go block somebody out. I know he's he's trying to block every shot, and maybe, maybe he's got to recognize when to go for that block shot versus – when to show and then get back and block box somebody out. Maybe that's something he could do a little bit better of. I mean, we talked about it a little bit already, uh, but the big man, they need to improve. Uh, you know, that's a big thing that Andy Enfield mentioned as well, as far as the improvements they could have. Let's talk about the guards. So what's the biggest area from the guards that stood out to you so far this season? 
generalizing, it, it would probably be just Boogie Ellis and him taking that step forward. That that's been really impressive to me. I think looking at the unit as a whole, though, it's been a little inconsistent. Take away Ellis and especially on offense, you have Ozias Sellers who comes in one game as a great night and then another game he, he struggles to hit shots. Kobe Johnson sort of been up and down. DJ Rodman, I know he wasn't a fantastic offensive player at Washington State, but I feel like he was brought in to give you a little bit more on offense than he has, and he hasn't really been as consistent maybe as as he was expected, and, and that could change. It's still really early in the year. So so with the guards, if, if you take out Boogie Ellis, Chuck, and I just look at the inconsistency, and I, I think those guards, and I, I mean, I haven't even mentioned Isaiah Collier. He, he is really consistent, and then the turnovers are the problem with with him. He pretty consistent score pretty consistent with his assists that the turnovers kind of are up and down. And, and if you want to talk about inconsistency, that that's where he fits in with that. So that that's sort of where I start. I, I think Boogie Ellis has been great. And then everyone else has kind of been up and down this year. And the guards are who you expected to, to be really talented and lead the team. And when they're up and down, that I think shows uh, why they've had some problems too. I think that the positive for Isaiah Carter, as far as the turnovers is that there's been less live ball turnovers the last couple games. I mean, he had two turnovers against Eastern Washington. I think they were both offensive fouls. Now, he's a he's a bully. He's bigger, stronger than most every guard that's going to guard him. So he can play that way, but he's got to be careful, you know, not to get the, the offensive foul as well, but not throwing the ball away. Live ball, you give the ball away, it can end up in being two points on the other end real quick. So, you, you know, I, I think you mentioned a lot of the things. They need other guys to hit their threes. Uh, that's obviously a big, big part of the, the guard play. And that includes Kobe Johnson, who had an off night against Gonzaga, partly because he was in and out with a foul trouble. That's something they actually need to worry about, too, is the foul trouble has has forced Isaiah Carter to the bench at times, has forced Kobe Johnson to the bench at times, and some of them are just ticky-tack fouls. I remember Isaiah Carter fouled out in one game, and the foul was way away from the basket that got him his fifth. It was just like, why are you – you got four fouls. Why are you doing that? And that's also those clips in that tweet. I feel like one or two of them were like he's got foul trouble and he's trying not to catch a foul. So it's when you're clipping out things, there can be – you know, there's no uh, context to it. But, you know, Boogie Ellis has been fantastic. And I asked Andy Enfield, I was like, you know, give me a positive. You know, we were talking about a lot of negatives and things you guys improve on. But, you know, what's something, whether it be a person or a specific aspect of someone's game that's impressed you most as far as the growth? Um, and he said Boogie Ellis. He said for him to be shooting 50% from the field, I think it's, what, 48% from three, two-to-one assist to turnover ratio, that was not the case two years ago. You know, he's taking care of the ball, making good decisions, not trying to do too much, actually. You know, he's not, I don't feel like he ever forces a shot. He takes some deep threes occasionally that you go, ah, oh, do you really need to take a deep one? But, you know, it's not like he's like going against two guys trying to break through a pick, uh, you know, a, a double team on a pick and roll type of thing. He just has been fluid with everything and he's been pretty consistent with that. So, uh, you know, the, the guards can the rest of the guys continue to take steps forward. I talked with someone who thinks Kobe Johnson is really improving his draft stock, coaching staff. May have thought they were getting him back for another year, but it's looking more and more likely if he continues to shoot well that that's not going to happen. So they're going to be replacing that entire backcourt. So you got to make sure you make the most of it now. Boogie Ellis, Isaiah Carter, Kobe Johnson could all be gone next year. What do you do this season with that trio? Could be the best backcourt in the nation. Shouldn't be five and three. Absolutely. Put your NBA scout hat on for a second. 
Shotgun, do you think Kobe Johnson has the potential to have a better NBA career than Boogie Ellis just because he can do more things? Boogie, it's kind of the instant offense. He's a little undersized, but Kobe can hit those threes, play defense. To me, I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now, if both those guys do go on to the NBA, which it looks likely if we're talking about Kobe Johnson sticking. And, and Boogie, I hope he does as well, but I just feel like those guys who score a lot in college, it doesn't always translate. I could see Kobe, his game absolutely translating. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think Kobe's going to have much more of a shot too. Like Boogie's gonna have to work his way into it. Like, I don't know if he'll be drafted. He's six foot one, he's a scorer. There's you know, go Max Abrams from what it was Oral Roberts that went to Texas. And like there's all these small guards that can score in the college game. That doesn't necessarily translate to the NBA because who are you gonna guard? Because now Boogie Ellis is guarding Isaiah Collier at the next level. Like, all right, can you stay in front of Isaiah Collier? He's not you're not as big as him. Like he's gonna bully you going down six five versus six one, so like that's the difficulty, and that's why like it's been super impressive that J Mac has stayed in there, Jordan McLaughlin has stayed in the league for so long because he's a small guard and like those guys don't last very long in the NBA. Um, now he's more a facilitator than scorer, and small scorers oftentimes do not because a lot of guys can score, but can you do everything else that the NBA is asking you to do, and particularly defensively? Because if you're giving up a bucket every time, it doesn't matter how many points you score. Because you know, unless you're not going to go, uh, you're not going to score every bucket that you or every shot that you take. You know, isn't going to go on if you're giving up a bucket every time. You're just going to get mauled down low. So you got to be strong. Um, that's not necessarily the strength of his game either. But if you can make shots and you can play defense, and defense isn't the strength necessarily, but it's gotten so much better the last couple of years. So I think he'll get a shot. I don't know that it'll be. I don't know that it'll be draft. We'll see. Could be a second round guy. Uh, whereas Kobe, I think, will get drafted. And then when you get drafted, you just, you know, teams are going to give you more of a chance than they would if you're working your way up through the G League or whatever it is. So I think Kobe Kobe will get an opportunity. Boogie will have to prove himself more. But I think they're both capable of being in the NBA and being in the NBA for multiple years. Kobe can easily be a 3 and D guy, easily with the defense. The defense will carry you so much further than being a scorer in the NBA unless you are elite of the elite, like Kevin Durant or LeBron or somebody like that. Yeah. And then back to what you said about having three guards who have NBA potential and you're five and three, that means stuff's going wrong right now. So I totally agree with what you're saying that they have, if if all those guys have these bright futures, then the future's got to be now a little bit too, because <laughs> you know, they, they got to turn this around Chuck. And I, I, I can't believe we're, we're sitting here talking about a, a five and three team. I thought at worst right now, they would be, a two loss team. And now they have three, I guess the injuries with UC Irvine, maybe you can throw that out, but the Oklahoma game and just not being competitive against Gonzaga. We're repeating ourselves here, or at least I am this month is being so huge, but I I just want them to show it because I do think the potential is real and they have a chance for a special season. And now we just got to see it. Yeah. And this game, if this team progresses throughout the season, they could easily get take stride by stride by stride because they have so many young players, so many inexperienced players. And that was one of the things I asked Andy Enfield, what do you expect uh, to look different with this team when you get to March? And he said, if we get our full roster, we get healthy, we have guys playing together for a couple months, then he thinks, you know, one, the defense will get better because guys will be able to work, communicate a little bit more. But then the offense should also get better. And he, he said, if they can get some points in the paint, and that comes from the big guys, and that's, again, Arrington Page and Vinci Wachuku are the first two guys that come to mind there. If those guys can score, whether it be the putback, whether it be drive and dish, those type of things, catch the ball, finish the shot. 
catch the ball, finish, catch the ball, finish. If they can do that, and those guys give you six to eight points a game each, you know, just layups basically, then yeah, this team can take big jumps and can be a team that doesn't get the greatest seed because of some of the losses they have, because they'll still lose to an Arizona. They'll lose to, you know, someone else in conference play, another good team. Um, but they'll, so they'll have some losses. But if there's, they could be end up being a dangerous seven seed or, you know, six seed or whatever, depending on how they play the rest of the season, they get in, they could be a team that's dangerous because they're playing their best ball at the end of the season. And that's what you're really hoping for this team is they continue to progress. They play better defense. They play together for a while. Now you add Bronny back to the mix. Don't forget, he's not just the son of LeBron James, also a five star prospect. Um, and his shooting ability will change things there potentially for USC. And the fact that he brings up that intensity, as I mentioned before, you see him, you see him getting playing time. He starts taking your playing time. Suddenly you start playing a little bit harder. So we'll see if, uh, if that happens and if those things transpire for this team or if it's over, like I said, you know, if they, they don't, we don't see any response to the spotlight being on them the next couple of weeks. And, you know, it just being like, this was a wasted season, super disappointing. And then the the message boards chatter just continues, and you know we get questions like the one saying, "This looks like an Indian uh, regular Indian field team. It's just mediocre." I hope we don't come to that, but right now <laughs> I'd be shocked if that happens. I, I, I guess not. The, the fun is it's all ahead of them, and it, it starts Sunday now. They got the full team ready to go. I don't know about Brandon Gardner; maybe he's still hurt, but he wasn't getting a lot of minutes anyway. But with Le, with Bronny, you got the full team, the whole arsenal. The time is now. LeBron's going to be in the building. Should be amazing. Make sure you guys get there. Get your tickets. Do all that type of stuff. And you guys can let us know. Give us your, uh, you know, firsthand. I won't be there, unfortunately. Connor will. But, uh, you know, I'll see them next week, actually. I just booked my flights to head down to, to Georgia and then over to Auburn and to Alabama State, where they will play after the Auburn game. So should be some fun ones down there. But we'll see. It starts Sunday. Full roster, like you said, finally intact, minus Brandon Gardner, who's the last guy on the bench right now, the scholarship guys anyways. So you have your, your top 12 guys, top 11, whatever it is. All right, can you make start making strides? Now's the time. We'll see. We'll see. That's uh, the motto for this podcast, USC men's basketball. <laughs> Women, though, have been playing exceptional. Yeah. Make sure you stick around for the second game of the doubleheader to check out Juju in person. You might see something you never expected to see. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. We hit you with a little bit different episode, a little bit different format this time. But I'm your host, Shotgun Spratlin, saying thank you to my co-host, Connor Morissette, and also to Andy Enfield for hopping on the phone and chatting with me, even though we couldn't get him on the podcast. We'll try to get him in the future. We'll see if we can do that or not. Thank you guys especially for taking the time to listen. Please like, share, subscribe. Leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. And send us any feedback, comments. Leave us that five-star review. Leave us the review. If you have any questions, any comments, email us at questions at, or excuse me, podcast at uscfootball.com. Hope you all will join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast.